The nail in the coffin! It's a postseason, postmortem edition of the Nail, or a night removed from the Indian season coming to a crashing halt. Trev, I believe you were at Progressive Field for every home game of the series. Um, what was the mood like down there last night, uh, during and after uh, Game Five? Uh, last night was kind of a roller coaster, as you might imagine. Um... If at the very end of the roller coaster, instead of like the platform, you like step off and just like fall to your death. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but during the game, obviously was pretty high and then pretty low and then kind of antsy. And then we got back in the game. So it was live again. And then the wheels fell off in the ninth. And I mean, you you can probably imagine. Yeah, I mean. I had pretty much resigned myself to the fact that this this thing had come unraveled after game four, and I had zero expectations going in, and I think I pretty much just watched all of that game last night angry. And the fact that the Indians were trailing literally from the top of the first uh, through the end of the night, it just did not make for an, an enjoyable viewing experience at the Valentino household. Um, brutal, brutal series. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, obviously, it was funny. I, I texted one of my buddies. I think somehow I've been to a lot of live sporting events in my life. Obviously, um, I somehow managed to pack both the best and the worst into a one-week span. Huh. I, I I said to my wife last night. I think I think last night is probably the lowest I've ever felt after a game that I went to. Um. The defending champion before last night was the 2005 Ohio State-Texas game where uh, I was on television after the game, damn near in tears. Uh, <laughs> that was fueled by a lot of booze and a, and a, and a night game. Ryan Hamby. College. Oh, don't, don't remind me. <laughs> um, that was that was a rough day, and I think I took that game worse than any other game I've, I've experienced up until last night. Um, and the emotions of game two, the up and down, the comeback, all of that shit was incredible. So I honestly think that, and obviously this could be revisionist history a year from now. Who knows if I still say the same thing, but um, it's up there, man. It's up there. I'll tell you what. I saw a lot of people on social media late last night and then early this morning putting up posts with, thank you, Indians. What a great ride. And uh, normally I'm, one of the first people to jump in with sentimental posts like that when a season yeah, I ends. The Indians. This was not a good ride. Yeah, th- this one, no, uh, I'm not feeling it. Um, this sucked, and that's harsh. And um, maybe it's uh, uh, prisoner of the moment type stuff. But uh, I- I'll tell you. So after the 22 game winning streak in the regular season came to an end. This might surprise you, but there were some companies here in town who printed some t-shirts to commemorate the occasion. And um, I thought about it, and I ultimately decided I was going to pull the trigger on buying one uh, that I really like, because I'm thinking at that point, uh, you know what, 
Um, this is a once-in-a-lifetime deal, and even if we don't win the World Series this year, um, that's pretty awesome. Um, but you the do way not think that anymore. <laughs> I was going to say the way uh, I was wearing it last night. I wore it for Game Two. Had to break it back out for last night. But uh, the way that series ended, um, it's going to be a while before I pull that out of the drawer again. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things. Like I'm never, I'm never by like. You know, I, it, it happens a lot with bowl season. Your team gets into a bowl game and they sell a whole bunch of swag for the bowl game before the bowl game even happens. And people buy this shit like crazy. And I always like I've never bought any of it because I don't really give a shit about them getting to the game. And if if they win, if they lose the game, I don't want some thirty dollar T-shirt around reminding me that they lost the game. Um, so I've never really been in that. I did. After the fact, after last year's World Series, I bought one of the hats from last year um, with the World Series logo on the side. But this was after the fact. Um, but in a regular season win streak, come on, Tino, you're better than that. <laughs> I don't want to make you feel bad, but come on. I'm not. I'm not better than that. Ah, That's... You Somebody wins the World Series every year. You're, you're not you you might not if not probably not won't see a 22 game winning streak again that's that's rare stuff um which actually kind of leads me to the the next you question trade one for the other oh i obviously yeah, exactly. but <laughs> exactly well, well we'll get into the the whys and the hows and and the where do we go from here's and, and what nows but let while we're on this trying to put things in perspective kick you know, how do you think this team is going to be remembered 20 years from now? I, I was thinking about this tonight when I was trying to get ready for, for the pod. Um, you know, I think about the 90s Indians, and we talk a lot about the 95 Indians, and we talk a lot about the 97 Indians, but, like, when was the last time you thought about the 96 team? Yeah, I mean, you don't really. A and and it, they won 99 games, and they had a shot at 100, but they had a game get rained out that was never made up. And that was, I think at that point, the third most wins they had had in franchise history in a regular season. And yeah. you never remember that because they flamed out the division series. Okay. But here's the thing about asking that question now is you have no idea what, what we'll think of this team. That's what I'm wondering. Maybe see what happens next year. Like if next year they flame out, say they lose a couple guys and, like obviously there's there's free agency questions and stuff that's going to come up and maybe they're just not the same team next year we like to look at it and we see you know they've got most of the, the core star guys are locked up for a while so this is maybe a long shot but if next year you know they win 90 games sneak into the playoffs and are an early bounce again we're going to basically look at it as a team that overperformed one year and never really lived up to what everybody thought they were going to do now, obviously, that's not what I'm hoping for, but there's no way to know what you'll think of this team until you sort of put it into context with, you know, how the, the rest of the, the window plays out the next couple of years. Exactly. Because the window is obviously still open. So if they go on and they win the World Series next year, we'll probably look at this team like, you know, they learned a lot from it. I do think if they, if they do the same thing next year, we're going to say they were just a team that couldn't get over the hump. So who knows? Yeah. And how about that? I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know. 
if if you saw it or not, but um, Verducci, uh, Tom Verducci, the uh, in-game reporter for FS1 and then uh, also writing for Sports Illustrated, I... I put up the column he had after game two because I thought that was great, but he had a real weird angle, I thought, at the time after they lost game three about them struggling in closeout games, and I had not given that any thought whatsoever um, up to that point because all the stuff from 97 and the late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, up to 2007 and really even the 2013 wildcard game, none of that felt relevant at all to me with this current group because there's just nobody really around or very few people around, even from 13. There's been a lot of roster turnover. But um, now, a- after the way the rest of this series played out, I mean, it's a thing, right? Eh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a thing. Um, yeah, they've lost their last six closeout games and that's obviously a a shitty stat but in context it's just two series um they also you know swept boston last year and took toronto in five they did so and that's fair so it's not it's it's i think thing about the baseball playoffs is they're pretty damn random um and you're not you know you're you're playing against good teams. It's not, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's probably an overreaction. I haven't read the piece, so I can't say for sure exactly what it is, but um, I have a feeling if you looked at most teams, they've all probably got quite just as many disappointments, you know, like, like the Indians have. Um, If you go back and look at, you know, over the course of however many years or whatever it is, you can probably find just as many instances where, there's other teams that had similar stretches where they just couldn't get over the hump for a couple a couple times. That's true. Um, the, the thing, though, with you're talking about baseball in the postseason being random, I agree with that to a point, but at the same time, the Indians got outplayed in four of the games in this series. Oh, yeah. This absolutely could have been over in four games. I mean, they controlled game one. They got extremely lucky in game two when Girardi didn't challenge uh, the, the hit by pitch on Chisholm Hall that opened the door for the Grand Slam by Lindor. Um, and from there on out, they never had a lead in the rest of the series. And, um, you know, I mean, just every facet of the game, they, they got out hit. New York starters went deeper. Um, the Indians defense, seven errors in the last two games, and, and they were a great defense. I think they had 76 errors in the entire season. And they had seven errors in the last two games, and I think nine for the series. Um, you know, I, I, they you didn't hear this last night because you were at the game, but they, they were mentioned about halfway through. The Indians had more extra base hits and home runs against left-handed pitchers during the regular season than any other team in baseball. They had zero in this entire series, and they saw a lot of left-handed uh, pitching. Um, you know, I, I just... It, it it was it was un, it was an unraveling. I, I don't know like how else to describe it. It it was it was rough. Yeah, and if if you told me coming into the series, um, you know, you're not going to get anything out of Lindor, Ramirez, Encarnacion, Brantley. All of them combined are going to give you nothing. Lindor gave you the grand slam. Outside of that, he gave you dick 
Ramirez, nothing. Encarnacion didn't have a single hit. Um, I think those four guys you mentioned were a combined. I want to say. I don't, f- I don't want to hear it. It's just going to depress me. <laughs> four it's for forty-five. Be- cover your ears. Oh my lord! Oh my <laughs> lord! Give me a fucking break. And and so, but I'm not. I guess I'm not going to pile on too much because I mean, you look at what they did last year. You know that they can do it in in big moments, but for whatever reason, everybody everybody shit the bed at the same time. They could have they could have survived a couple of those guys not giving you anything, and still been fine. I mean, look at the look at game three. Carrasco pitched a gem. They gave up one run and did nothing offensively. He needed right. two stinking runs to close the series out in a game. And that was a game um, that Encarnacion didn't play. That was the first one after he had sprained his ankle, and I think he was batting like four fifty or five hundred in his career versus Tanaka. So over a pretty decent sample size too. So I mean, that obviously changed the whole dynamic of their lineup. Um and you know, I I, I don't want to become blame the umps and, and, and blame the ref guy in other sports or anything like that, but um I, I have a lot to say about the strike zone in this series and in the baseball postseason in general. Um, just from watching some of the other games that have been going on, and I, I don't know, I, Ramirez probably would never say this, but there were about three or four calls that were very egregious early on in the series that I felt like he got uh, strikes that went against him that kind of threw off him. Or, I'm sorry, it threw off his uh, uh, rhythm at the plate and just, you know, you, you get an understanding of what you're looking for in a pitch and, and what the strike zone is. And when you're getting stuff called that you think is off the plate and your understanding of what a strike is gets distorted, I just, I think that had him fishing a bit and it just snowballed on him from there. Um, but the, the, the strike zone in general... I, and it, it got worse, I felt like, as the series went on. Yeah, I obviously didn't have a good feel last night. Um, and I was I was trying to text but... you a little bit during the game when I thought there were things that were uh, particularly bad. Like the, the one that was just an absolute backbreaker was uh, the Indians. They were down 3 nothing. They hit, uh, you know, they got a couple hits to drive in a couple runs. By the way, that inning where they scored their two last night, that was the only inning in the entire series where they had multiple run producing at bats in a single inning. Jeez. Um, but you know, they, they drive the two runs in, they get back up to the top of the order. They still got two guys on and Lindor comes up to the plate and gets a pitch about, I don't know, six to eight inches off the outside of the plate called a strike. And instead of sitting at one Oh, with all this momentum, all of a sudden you're, you're down Oh one. And, Next thing you know, he chases a pitch he probably shouldn't have. Double play, out of the inning, and that was that. Um, and it was just little things like that that just, you know, kept resurfacing. And it felt to me like watching it. A lot of people were like, oh, you know, well, the Yankees are getting these pitches and the Indians aren't, and Major League Baseball wants the Yankees in the in the LCS. And I honestly, I don't think it was that. I think – um especially last night, but in several other games I saw, 
and and Smoltz even said it at one point with regards to a really dubious call that Sabathia got. It's because they're hitting their spots, and it's just so frustrating to me that if you see a catcher setting up off the plate, if the pitcher hits his target, he's going to get rewarded, and that was something that Kluber really struggled with last night where Perez would set up on the inner half of the plate or off the inside of the plate, and Kluber would have a ball go tailing off to the outer half and wouldn't get a call because, you know, even though it was over the plate and it was in the strike zone, not getting the call because it, it missed so badly. And um, it just, it was one of those things that it, it's infuriating. And, and I think if we had an automated strike zone, it would change a lot of this because it really wouldn't matter at that point where the catcher is setting up. But I really felt like that became a recurring theme with a lot of these at bats through the playoffs. And, it's just it it it's so backbreaking because when you get into these games it's it's the best teams with the best pitchers and the best pitchers are the ones who are able to live on the edges of the plate and there's so many borderline calls so many borderline balls and strikes that when you can't get a consistent strike zone it's just going to absolutely cripple you both ways yeah i mean I, like I said, I didn't have a good view on last night, but it seemed like the general theme was that um, the Indians were getting the shaft, obviously. There was a couple instances where I could tell. Um, there, I think there was an at-bat, I think it was Austin Jackson had one, where he got called strike two and strike three that looked like they were you know, nowhere near. Um, got rung up, and I think it was in the middle of the game. I, I don't know the exact instance, but um, it seemed like there was general... Uh, frustration with it and but that does make a lot of sense as to why what, what you're saying about hitting your spots and that influencing the calls um but i want to hear anybody really put together a compelling reason why we shouldn't have an automated strike zone like what other area of our lives do we have a uh do we insist on using something that doesn't do the job as well just because we like people <laughs> we always hear this human element thing like when we find something that does things better than humans, we go to that. That's literally every other aspect of our life is like that, except for baseball umpires. Yeah, that's a scary world to be getting into in the job market and certain uh, careers that probably are not going to exist in the next five to ten years. But for this, umpires are not going to lose their jobs if if there's... You'll still need a guy back there. You still need somebody there. You still need somebody on every base. You still need somebody down the line in the postseason games. They got six guys working, and that's not going to change if you have an automated strike zone. So, yeah, I, if you're looking for somebody to make the case against it, I, I can't do it because it, it was extremely frustrating to watch that last night. And, you know, I, I'm not making an excuse for the Indians here. Um, they got outplayed. New York starters went deeper. Their hitters hit better. They they caught the ball. They threw the ball. They 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 performed better. Um, and they deserve to win that series. But when you're trying to fight back, that that is just um, you don't need it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything else? Any you know any any other factors that you can eliminate from impacting the game? I think you should. If you can eliminate errors in any way, not from the players, but from anything else, be it fans, uh, you know, 
there was a game earlier this year where there was a goddamn light in the background distracting people. They do all this stuff to make sure that the guys on the field are the only ones that determine the game. The players on the field, I should say, are the only ones that determine the game except for this. Now, there's going to be instances where an ump misses a, a play at a base or something and they maybe they don't have a good camera angle so maybe they get it wrong or whatever the case is those i understand because you can't you know you just kind of have to live with those sorts of things and if this was 10 years ago and someone came to me and said we just there's just no way to do it effectively or do it accurately right it's not going to be it's not going to work well it's not going to be accurate it's not going to be fair it's, we just can't do it. I would have said, okay, when the technology is ready, you know, go for it. You're going to have a hard time convincing me that that, the, that this couldn't be arranged pretty easily at this point. Completely agree. Um, all right, so... When, like, when Fox can show me exactly where the ball hits, and I don't think the TV strike zone thing is 100% accurate, but that's also about as basic as it comes. And there's a lot of services out there. And, you know, I'm pretty sure Major League Baseball is using this to evaluate their umpires. I mean, they're looking at this data. Um, And, I mean, I'll put it to you. The most compelling argument I could make, Friday afternoon, I'm looking at Twitter. And I've got the trends, what trending topics down the left side of my screen. What's trending in Cleveland? The name Angel Hernandez, which is the top of the list. Angel Hernandez was the umpire working behind the plate in a game between the Red Sox and the Astros. When an umpire is trending in a city that's not even involved in the game, probably not a great sign for his job performance that afternoon. Yeah, no, no kidding. And it happens in basketball a lot, too. You see Ted Valentine's name. (laughs) TV Ted! Pop up all the time during basketball season. Obviously, there's NBA guys that are the same way. Those are a much more subjective job, right? That's not – there's not a, a definition around right. fouls and things like that. Like there's what things to look for, and then you got to use your judgment. There is a definition around what is a strike and what's a ball. And we just have guys out there like, you know, do your best. Yeah, we got something that will do it better than you, but, you know, human element. That's cool. No. Come on now. <sighs> The human element, goddamn! Like, it's just an argument I don't get. Like, what other when people are like, "Oh no, I like the human element." What other aspect of your life do you want a human element? You still sending out mail by postal carrier too? Put it. Yeah, well, here's another one. You so can send an email to someone in ten seconds, but you want to drop it in the mail, put a stamp on it. We didn't. So we didn't have replay. What about five, six years ago? Yeah. And and we have replay now. Do you know the Indians had nobody get ejected the entire season? Yep. I did know that actually. Yes. And not in a million years would you have ever had that happen in the past. But now, literally, the only thing that you would get into an argument over that would get you balls tossed is balls and strikes. Yep. And I, I will admit baseball's replay fucks up a lot they get a <laughs> lot of calls wrong like i don't know how many times i watched a game this year and been like oh yeah 100 percent, it's this and then they come back and they say it's the other thing and i'm like i don't know what the fuck they're looking at i don't know how they get it wrong um even games that i don't have a rooting interest in games that i you know i don't it's not indians i don't give a shit who wins um so i they still got some work to do on that front um 
so it's certainly not flawless, but you gotta admit that they get they but, they rarely they rarely make a a correct call wrong. They may make the call wrong and leave it wrong, or they may make it wrong originally and then switch it to right. It's they're not perfect, getting, but it's certainly not perfect. But they're getting more right than they were before, yeah. and that's the goal. All right, let's shift gears. Um, I, I mentioned Kluber. Corey Kluber had a, a real hard time locating his pitches, and uh, obviously it came back to bite him against Didi Gregorius twice. Uh, how badly do we think he was hurt in this series? Um. I don't think he was. I don't think he was hurt that bad, because he's still something uh, was wrong. And, and I, think I don't un, know. I think he was uncomfortable more than he was hurt. I don't and, know if we're if we're ever gonna get to the full no, we're not. explanation we're not. unless we find out that like two weeks from now he's getting surgery or something. Yeah, we're but not um, just in retrospect, I feel like the alarm bells probably should have been going off a little bit more when the Indians started him in game two. Although I know. They had a good explanation as to why. Um, but then the fact that they also started Perez behind the plate last night, even though Gomes normally catches Kluber, because the, the rationale they gave for that was that uh, Tito said that Perez uh, is better at, at handling multiple pitchers in a game. That kind of tells me that they were you not... You didn't think Kluber was going... They didn't think Kluber was going to last, which... If he's your Which ace, you and it's, it's a winner-take-all game, and he is on full rest, especially when he didn't have that many pitches in the first game, kind of weird. Yeah, and it kind of makes – so so we questioned when they said they were going to start him second game, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like sort of the hunch right now is that he was hurt. They already knew he was a little uncomfortable, so maybe they were giving him an extra day. I'm a little peeved that they didn't throw Carrasco game one then. Because Carlos Carrasco would have looked real good last night. Yeah. Or even game two. I don't care which one. I'm a little annoyed that they didn't. If you can't look at it that way, Carrasco had been pretty damn steady uh, down the end of the season. He had one rough outing, I think, against the Royals or something, but... For the most part, he'd been pretty lights out for the last seven or eight starts. And he pitched he, great in game three. He really yeah, did. He pitched incredible in, great, in game three. They they yanked him kind of early with, uh, I don't know, I think he had 80-ish pitches, something like that. But um, if you could tell me, you know, I'm not 100% confident how effective Kluber is going to be to the point that I'm start, not even going to start him game one. I think at this point, are we in agreement that that wasn't around – getting him on routine and giving him his four days and all this, that, and the other thing. Are Definitely. we in agreement that it was at this point, knowing what we know now, that it was probably because of this, I don't know about injury, but whatever you want to call it. Certainly makes you think. And then right. the other thing with that is pitching Bauer on short rest in game four when you were leading in the series. Cause he's another one, especially with the way he pitched in game one, uh, Getting him on full rest, um, being the first option out of the pen if if Kluber struggled. And I, I mean, I guess, yeah. you know, the damage really was done 
when Kluber pitched, uh, other than the ninth last night, obviously. So um, they got around it. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it all just raises a lot of questions. Um, I don't know. Um, it, uh, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't want to just question all of Tito's moves because, like we said, he knows more than we do about any of this stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just disappointing. It's a team that had high hopes coming into this, and they uh, – ultimately, if we look back on this season exclusively, it'll, just, it'll be a, a team that was disappointing and fell short and didn't get the job done. Um, for whatever reason, we'll look at, there's a whole bunch things. You can't point it at one person. You can't say, Oh, if Kluber pitched this better or, you know, if they managed the bullpen different, which I don't think they could have done. I think the bullpen was pretty lights out the whole, whole series. Um, the hitters didn't hit, um, for three of the five games, the pitchers were bad and that's all there is to it. You can't overcome both of those. And the defense, obviously. Ah, uh, the defense. Ah, uh, the defense. Ah, <laughs> uh, the defense. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I forgot about the defense. Oh, well, you got to like their chances, though. <laughs> Love their chances. Love their chances. Uh, but anyways, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this. Of things that we, things that showed up, I was happy to see Carrasco and Bauer pitch well. I like that because yep. I had I had nerves about both of them, honestly. So that's reassuring. Um, it'll just be interesting to see um, of the handful of guys that are now going to be free agents, who do they keep and who do they lose? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think mean, Santana, I, midway through the season, I would have said, all right, get rid of Santana. I'm done with him. Don't care. Like, whatever. I like the guy and everything, but if he leaves, he leaves. I, he had far and away the 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 best at bats in that entire series, and it's I don't think it's close. He was the most reliable guy at the plate. Even when he got out, he extended the at bat for the most part, um, hit it hard somewhere. Um, he was the only one that I thought like really had a plan when he went up to the plate and stuck to it. Uh, Jay Bruce had his moments, although his highs might have been higher, but his more. his lows were also lower. So yeah, he had, he looked great the first two games and then the second two games, he looked like he was just going to swing at whatever you threw out there. And the other thing, you know, um, those guys are both up for free agency and Jay Bruce is a lot younger than I thought he was. I thought he he was in his mid thirties. He's not. So, uh, I would not expect both of those guys to be back. I would realistically hope for one, and if you can get them both back, I think that'd be great, but we'll see. Um, Brian Shaw's up for free agency. Um, he had a nice, had a really nice series. Yeah. You know, I know yeah. I probably said it's some... really well yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he stuffed it in my ear. I, I know I was grumbling about how nervous he made me last week, and he was, he was fantastic every time they called on him in this series. Um... As reliable as he was, I think he's probably one of those guys that's going to get a pretty big offer for not not big, but by middle reliever standards, um, probably get a pretty decent offer. And I think they probably ridden him as hard as they can at this point. Yeah, you have to wonder. I mean, that that's the thing. Every time he comes into a game, it's the the first note from his sheet in the media guide that they always bring up is how many years in a row he's had seventy plus appearances 
And I mean, I think he's been with the Indians about five years now. And, you know, they've ridden him into the ground every year. And you just kind of wonder how many times you can do that before a guy's finally going to break down. So let me ask you about this one. I don't believe he is a free agent, but will Jason Kipnis still be on the roster by opening day 2018? See, that's a tough one. He he actually played – he hit pretty well in the series. Didn't really have like a big hit or anything. He did have that triple that no one could get him in on. Um, I just don't know where the hell you put him. It, that's, it's, that's the I problem. Guess it, I, I, it'll be interesting to see uh, – do you think he can he can get better in the outfield? I don't know that he's ever going to have the arm, right? But they did just kind of he, – he played second base, then he got hurt, then he came back, and all of a sudden they're like, all right, play outfield. So it's not like he's really had much time to get back into playing outfield. No, I mean, I, he had not done that once since looks, college. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. If you give him – if you give him the spring to learn how to play and he becomes, you know, sort of a – does he become a bench player? I don't think he's a starter. I don't know. Does anyone else want him as a second baseman? Probably, right? Right. Probably catch on at another place, but I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Um, I feel like he's one of those guys that loves being here, and Tito loves him. But does he really have a place on the team? Like, does it make any sense anymore? I don't know. That's a tough one. What do you think? I know I, 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 I ended up firmly on the fence there. <laughs> Definitely, maybe. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I I have a feeling his contract's going to play a major factor. Uh, he could probably get a starting infield job somewhere else, but I believe he's due, what, $13 million? Something like that for 2018. And you just have to wonder, is there a team that's willing to take him on at that number. I mean, his range is not going to be getting better um, as he continues to, to, you know, go up against father time here. Um, right. So I, it's tough. I mean, his, his future is not at second base with the Indians. I, I think we saw that's, that pretty, yeah, that's pretty decisively that's pretty down the stretch here. Um, you know, whether it was Yandy Diaz or or Gio Urshela at third, it seems like uh, for the foreseeable future, it's it's Jose and Lindor up the middle, and uh, you know Bradley Zimmer will be back playing center field. Um, I don't know. I mean, you kind of see how things shake out in left field. They got an option on Brantley. He's another one that's going to be a big decision. I mean, by all accounts, he's a he's a great guy and a great clubhouse dude. Um, but I mean, the injuries are hard to ignore. Um, so that that's another tough call. Does he? Does he? I guess I don't know if this is even possible. But I look at guys like like Michael Martinez had a position on the team last year, right? He mm-hmm. had that thing because he could play a couple infield positions. Um, now, obviously, this is a pricey pricey utility infielder but is he one of those guys that you think could be that sort of utility guy that tito loves to have who just kind of fills in occasionally gets gets a fair amount of at bats but you're not 
He's not in the heartier order. It, it's it's weird because no matter what he does here, it's going to be a demotion, right, from what he's used to being. I mean, if you're talking about a, a super utility role or something like that, I just – it would have to come with a drastic restructuring of his contract. I, I don't see how you could pay somebody – I mean, the so difference is, between a is Michael contract is—is is it team options or what? I believe or is so. It, is it just general, like general salary? I don't know what. Like, I I should have looked this up. I I and I apologize for not doing that, but um, I I I could tell you this off the top of my head: what they paid Michael Martinez and what they paid Michael Brantley are nowhere near the same ballpark. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right. It looks like it looks like it's just normal salary for 18 and 19 of 13.5 and 14.5. And then he has a club option in 2020. Okay. So there's a chance they got to pay him either way. He may not have to restructure shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And that might be a tough pill to swallow. But if you are stuck paying him either way. Might as well get something out of him, right? Yeah. Because I don't know that I don't know that people are going to be lining up to pay him twenty-seven million dollars over the next two years. It's tough. It's tough. All right, I I have to somewhat shift gears here. Um, speaking this of, it's going to be about one other thing that we may not see on the field next year. That's you got it. You know, I we're gotcha. we're talking Step about who who's coming back next year. Um. Did we see Chief Wahoo uh, on a major league uniform for the last time last night? I believe we did. Me too. I believe we did. I I think it's going to be something that uh, I don't know that there'll be a whole lot of fanfare behind it. Um, I was sitting there at the game the other day, and I didn't realize that there is nothing anywhere uh, in the stadium with him on it. You are like correct. Sitting in, my, sitting in my seat, I could not, other than obviously the uniforms, I could not see a Chief Wahoo anywhere in view. That's and not that, an accident. I don't, know, I don't know how long that's been the case. I haven't like consciously looked that frequently for it. But I was sitting there, and I was thinking about it, and I looked around, nowhere to be seen. And I'm sure that's probably been the case for a little bit now, so they're sort of already planting that seed. And obviously we've heard the discussions they've had with the commissioner and everything, but... Yeah, I think it's I think it's time to rip that bandaid off and, and sort of move on. And they, I think the team finally accepts that. Just just to be to be clear, they've downplayed the presence of Wahoo in the park over I'd say the last two or three years, and I might be wrong, but I think it coincided with when they officially designated the Block C as their primary logo in twenty fourteen. Um but yeah, you know, a lot of people who are in the get rid of Wahoo camp they, they hear, Oh, you know, the the Indians are, are scaling back their use of, of Wahoo. Then these people are like, well, what the hell? I still see them on the hats and I still see them on the sleeves. And um, yeah, uh, the Wahoo logo is still in those places on the uniform for now. But um, outside of that, the Indians have uh, very consciously dialed it back um, with how they, they use Wahoo or, or don't use. And um, specifically the example I remember is a couple years ago, they did a 20th anniversary celebration for the 95 team that won the pennant. And they had a giveaway that was like an actual pennant 
uh, Indians 95 champions and they didn't put the block C on it because I mean, that was not a logo that was in use at that time, but there was no Wahoo anywhere on there. And it was kind of glaring because um, I mean, these discussions about this logo have been going on as long as I can remember. And I've been following the Indians now for about 30 years, but um, I, I will say that even 20 years ago, I don't think it was at nearly the pitch that it is today. Um, it's time, you know, I, if, if you're, you know, and I'm, I'm going to guess that I'm probably going to rub a lot of people who listen to our podcast the wrong way when I say this, but um, it, it's, it, it's just time, you know, if you are offended by it, if you're not offended by it, this has gotten to a point where it's the exact same discussion over and over again mm-hmm. every year. It's yep. it's it's offensive. It's got to go. No, it's not offensive. It's got to stay. There are plenty of other reasons to change your logo. I want to know, I want somebody to explain to me why 98% of professional sports franchises are free and clear to update their logo and keep with the times, but we're stuck with a cartoon that is old enough to collect social security because some indeterminate number of fans don't find it uh, offensive. Why, why is this the only logo that, that has to, you know, enough people have to be offended by it before we can get rid of it? it? It's not even that enough people need to be offended by it. It seems like it seems it needs to be everyone needs to not be offended or to not, you know, to everyone to agree that it needs to go away before we'll do anything about it. Because um, there's, there's plenty of people. And I'll admit, personally, I'm not offended by it but I can also agree that it is offensive. There's two different things there. A hundred percent. And I'm glad you, know, you said that because I was just going to say pretty much verbatim what you just said. Like it, it doesn't personally offend me, but it's offensive. Let's, let's just call a spade a spade here. There's no other, um, that I'm aware of, um, instance in sports or in really any walk of life where a, uh, stereotypical caricature of a race of people is is widely accepted as okay i don't know of any if you got one throw it at me i'd love to hear it but for whatever reason and i don't want to get into why anyone ever it honestly never should have been okay in the first place but can't go backwards we're only looking forwards here we're a we're progressive podcast here um (laughs) I just I don't see how you can honestly justify that it's okay in the year 2017 and it can't just be because it's always been there and I like it two th- two things with that number one um if it's about preserving your memories the Cavs just went to three straight NBA finals and won a championship and proceeded to dump their logo in their uniforms and nobody said a goddamn thing 
and the Larry O'Brien trophy is not getting taken away from them that they won in 2016. And nobody's coming in and, and erasing your memories of the Cavs winning the title in June, 2016. Um, so the whole, like, uh, don't mess with my memories thing completely falls flat for me. Number two, if you're in the keep the chief camp, I want you to think about this because this is one of the reasons why I finally came around on, on the notion that it's, it's time to move on. You literally cannot win this argument because whether it's this winter or next year or 10 years from now, at some point that logo is going to get replaced and you're going to keep having the same argument every year trying to keep it. The absolute best case scenario for you in having that argument is just giving yourself the opportunity to have the same argument again next year. And ask yourself, how many times are you willing to have a fight over a logo that's going to end up disappearing at some point or another anyway? Yeah, and the the notion that I always hear is folks like, oh, if they get rid of Chief, I'm done. Okay, you're a shitty fan then anyways. Like, who cares? Yeah, are you I, rooting for are you rooting for the logo on the hat or are you rooting for the team? Like which one is it? Yeah, I, I, I don't buy into that at all. Oh yeah, I'm also pretty yeah, I'm also pretty sure you're full of shit and you'll still be sitting in front of your T V watching on Fox Sports every night. Um The the one thing I will say is this. I, I I think it is on the Indians here and whoever they work with to come up with something that's going to be great with whatever point you decide to replace Wahoo or, or move on from Wahoo or however you want to phrase that. Because at least in my lifetime, you've been given options that are um, inoffensive, but I don't feel like we've ever gotten anything that's particularly great. The block C for a hat is fine, but in terms of being the primary mark identifying your franchise, it, it does falls a little short. It does nothing for me. The script I on its own without oh, Indians, not a fan it's of terrible. that at all. And that's really the only things that we've had as an alternative. And I, I kind of wonder sometimes where if we were given something really cool as an alternative, if more people would be like, I don't have to keep clinging to this Wahoo logo. This is something new and interesting. Cause like, really that's kind of why I think most teams tend to change their logos is when sales kind of flatline and they feel like they got to give people something new and exciting to start buying merchandise again. And you know, I, I I don't know that we've really had that. Yeah, and the one thing th- that I'll say is that if Wahoo didn't have any controversy around him, if no one cared about it, it didn't bother anyone, if it was just a general logo, say it wasn't, you know, wasn't the character that it is, if it was just a general logo, it would have been changed a long time ago. Absolutely. That, I mean, the, the Cavs are the perfect now. example of that. Yeah, and it would look tone deaf, tone deaf to do it now if you were to update it and, you know, just make a different version of the same thing. Um, 
So they can't do it now. So instead of updating it, they're just clinging to it. And that's what most people are doing. Um, but it's kind of on its own. It's kind of a stale logo in general. And yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's my opinion of the matter. I don't, I think we're, we're, this is one of those topics that. I've been uh, sitting on this for a while and I was just kind of wondering at what point I'd finally say something about it. But, um, no, I, I will say this. I mean, nobody would have Fred Flintstone as a logo for a charter member of the American League in 2017 because it's a wildly outdated caricature. Not offensive um, to anyone, I don't think, but uh, again, kind of silly and outdated. And Wahoo's, I think, 11 years older than Fred Flintstone. Here's a <laughs> interesting. No shit. Okay. <laughs> wow. Did not realize that. Um, like I said, a... I've been sitting on this one for a while. I like that. <laughs> We're in a full circle here. Um, here's a question I have for you. Yeah. And I think I know where I stand on it. So say they get rid of Wahoo, right? Wahoo's gone. Not on anything anymore. Completely wiped off the, the face of, of all of their present jerseys. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to have the occasional throwback uniform with Wahoo on it? I mean, I I think probably not, right? Probably not. I as mean, long as long as you just don't want to reopen. Yeah, I, I feel like Once you got enough other. You have enough other throwback options that that you can go to, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Twenty years from now, I may want a throwback uniform of the 95 Indians, but I kind of got to accept that. Yeah. We're not doing that anymore. I, I would, I would actually not be surprised if Wahoo merchandise, like throwback stuff still gets sold. I don't think you'll ever see it on the field again. Yeah. But I think that's, that's probably the, I, I the if, if, you know, we keep hearing like, Oh, we're, you know, the Indians are, you know, we're working towards a compromise with the league offices that, that to me, when you start trying to talk about a compromise, that that is the first thing that comes to my mind. But I don't know. We'll Anyways, see. What... I think I think we're in agreement with what needs to happen, and then we're sort of just wait and see what does happen at this. Yeah, point. I just more than anything else, like I'm just I'm tired of having this argument. It's the same thing every year. It's the same discussion every year, and it's it it just at a certain point, like. We've I, they flamed out this week in the playoffs, and it sucks and it hurt, and we got 168 days until opening day next spring, and it's going to take every bit of that, if not more, to get over the way this postseason played out. But at the end of the day, the Indians are going to be really damn good next year. They're going to have a lot of great players back. They're probably going to be favored to win the division. Uh, they'll be right in the mix to win the pennant and and you know finally win a World Series again here. I don't want to waste any more breath talking about a logo. It's just, it's enough. It, it it's, this has got to end at some point. It's, 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 it's had, it's enough. Yep. I'm with you hundred percent. Um, yeah, I is, it's funny. You mentioned going off of the logo thing and back to how this season ended. Uh, I flipped over to the Cubs game. Cubs nationals are playing right now while we're recording. Um, I flipped over to it for like two minutes. I'm like, nope, no baseball. I'm done. <laughs> um, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if I don't watch any more baseball these playoffs. 
The wife asked me if I was going to do that, and I, I think the answer, I've been flipping back and forth here. Um, I'll watch a little bit, but I'm not doing anything to carve out time in my schedule to right. make sure I catch these games. Um, yeah. It's the, yeah, it's a tough one. It's it a is. Tough one. I think it's, it's going to take a, it's going to take a little while to get over this one. I think last year, I think we were so excited and they overachieved by everybody's, uh, by everybody's standards and, you know, gave it, gave it their best run, had a hell of a go at it. And you can't really be that disappointed this year it seems like the opposite. They were primed to make a big run, fell short. Guys didn't show up. A bunch of guys were just huge disappointments in general, all of them at the same time. And you just feel like you didn't even come close to giving it your best shot. It'll be interesting to see how they they bounce back next spring. Um, the, the, The one other thing, and I know we're starting to run long here, but the one other thing that I will say is, you know, with the Cavs in the past few years, we've kind of been conditioned that, you know, the regular season doesn't really matter. And, you know, the baseball season is going to be the same way. It's coming up. It's all coming down to June with the Cavs and what they do when they're going to see the Warriors at the end of the year. And, you know, we're going to start talking about them here real soon. But uh, I spoiler alert, I don't see any reason why it's not going to be the exact same situation for a fourth year in a row. Um, Yeah. The baseball season, it's, it's going to be the same thing. Um, I think we've seen everything we could possibly uh, see in terms of what you would hope to achieve in a regular season. I mean, the Indians won a hundred games this year. They set a league record for uh, uh, consecutive games. won. Um, they're going to be favored to win the division again. And it's going to come down to what happens in October. I, I, mm-hmm. I really believe that. So, yep. um, you know, I, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the players bounce back because I, I think there was, you saw them through the first half of this season, even, you know, I, I, there was a lot of talk about how they came out of last year's world series. Obviously they were devastated that they lost, but they were in a good frame of mind. Like, all right, let's get right back in here as soon as we can. And let's get after it again. And, and they even still, cause those games were a letdown for them in the first half of the year, kind of scuffled until the all-star break before, you know, they really kind of flipped it on in the, in the second half of the year. And, you know, just, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the bounce back is like next spring. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how different the team looks. Um, not just the roster, a uh, couple Sandy Elmar's names getting thrown out as a manager candidate. Mickey Callaway. Um, Mickey Callaway also, same thing. I heard today Philly was one that was yep. interested in him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, – I wouldn't be surprised if John Farrell ends up in Cleveland in some capacity, uh, depending on if he wants to go right back into managing, depend if the right scenario is available or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that the coaching staff looks. Obviously, Mick Calloway, I think, is probably one of those guys who – I don't know. You don't usually see pitching coaches become managers, but uh, he's one of those guys that I think is pretty widely respected around the league, and he's obviously been a huge part of the Indian success. So that would be that'd be a tough one, but what are you going to do? That's what happens when you win, you lose coaches. You, I would say you'd hate to lose him, but he certainly earned the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. we'll see. All right, bud. Anything else uh, before we put a wrap on this one? <sighs> no, 
No, <laughs> I'm. I, I think this. I found this quite therapeutic. So me too. I'm, I'm glad we got on and did it. I, I was stewing last night. I had a long walk home. Um, it was, it was a rough night for me. Um, I, my, I don't know that my wife has seen me that low about sports before. So it was a, it was probably a bit of a, a shock to her, but in general, it was a rough evening and I, I did get a whole lot of sleep and I was, I was left kind of like processing in my head. Um, so this was good for me. I appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to get it on. The, the feeling is mutual. It was the worst night of sleep I've had in a while. And that was probably the, the angriest I've been at sports in a really long time. So mm-hmm. uh, this was cathartic. Yes, 100%. All right. Well, we turned the page. Um, I think we're going to try to put together a Cavs preview here in the next couple days, working on a really good guest. Hope we can make it happen here. Um, Fingers crossed on that. So uh, in the meantime, go subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Catch up on all of our old episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com, and go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. I'm sure we're going to be sharing all sorts of good stuff. Uh, I saw a really good story I think Lee Jenkins wrote about Isaiah Thomas, um, new Cavs point guard. Give me a while till we see him on the floor, uh, but uh, Sports Illustrated had a really good story with Isaiah uh, this week. Uh, I'll try to go post that up uh, the next day or so here if I think of it, so uh, go check that out. Uh, We will be back soon, Um, hopefully talking Cavs, maybe sprinkle in a little bit of Buckeyes. It's been a while since we talked about them, right, Trav? Yeah, yeah, go Bucks. They're uh, they're about to get into the, uh, they're getting, finally getting done with the the little lull they have here in the middle of the schedule. They'll start heating up here in a couple weeks. Time to get back to business. That's right. A lot of good stuff still to talk about. So uh, Cleveland, keep your heads up. A little bit of a downer this week, uh, but uh, we'll be bouncing back here right quick so regardless of how the season ended uh, i think we can say that this the season in general was still a hell of a lot of fun even if it came crashing down in disappointing fashion so yeah it was trying to put put, you know (laughs) trying to polish it up a little bit here make it a little shinier and happier for you i'll take it yeah all right folks for travis julia i'm tom valentino it's been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you soon Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.